Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Wow. Markets have been volatile as of late. We're talking crypto stocks, financial markets across the board. Uh, We've seen a ton of volatility and the Federal Reserve, the Fed, is a key component to causing a lot of this volatility. So today we are going to talk about why you should watch the Fed and plays on how to cash in on Fed policy. I'm Andy Gersher. This is Gaines. Okay, before we talk Fed policy and how to cash in, And I'm going to bring on Jim Welsher in a second. But I wanted to just recap uh, the last couple episode of Gains. Uh, There's been some really juicy picks. And I just wanted to kind of set the table here and uh, just uh, go back and and just talk about a couple of the recent picks that were given to us. Uh, The episode before this one, we had just recently talked about pot stocks with Michael Palumbo. It was a great episode, and we got some juicy picks. Michael uh, loves the cannabis space, but he likes domestic players only. And if you go back to the previous uh, Gaines podcast, our last Gaines podcast, uh, you can listen, and Mike makes a great case for why U.S., Cannabis, marijuana stocks are just poised to potentially move much higher. We're talking three, four baggers on the gains, maybe heading into next year or the year after. He, By the way, Mike does not like uh, the Canadian players in the space. He likes the U.S. players. Just to kind of recap a couple picks that he gave us, uh, the U.S. marijuana stock ETF that he suggested uh, folks take a look at that's the advisor shares pure u.s cannabis etf the ticker on that by the way msos and again that's the uh u.s uh marijuana etf domestic uh players in that only and again that ticker is msos uh actually uh, that's probably something i'm going to uh dollar cost into 2022 i'm going to start at the beginning of the year and maybe every two weeks dollar cost uh over the next couple months in the next year he also gave us some individual names which were worthy of checking out uh these are again all domestic players in the space green thumb industries the ticker gtbif Cureleaf Holdings, C-U-R-L-F, True Leave Cannabis, and that's T-C-N-N-F. A little uh, interesting fact that um, Mike mentioned, all of these um, domestic names have F at the end. It's almost like a pink sheet status because of uh, the, the space that they're in. So again, that ETF, MSOS, Green Thumb, G-T-B-I-F, Cureleaf, C-U-R-L-F, and True Leave, T-C-N-N-F. 
So uh, those were the uh, marijuana plays that Mike threw at us. Um, the time before, we were talking Bitcoin and just wanted to remind uh, people, we talked about how you could get Bitcoin exposure through Robinhood and, and trading platforms like that. And, and then um, we also have an individual name that a lot of people use, probably one of the biggest in the space, we're talking again, Bitcoin, and that's the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC. And again, what I say, take take as entertainment. Um, you know, I bring on the experts, the professionals in the space, and, uh, you know, take their advice. You know, my advice, take as entertainment, because like I've said in the past, I'm a degenerate risk taker. I love the juice, the volatility, uh, and it's probably a, a little much for a lot of investors out there. Maybe not so much for the gains listeners, because I suspect that a, a lot of the gains listeners are like me, who just want to get in on the action. And and uh, some of this uh, money that we're playing with now is, is fun money. So again, what I say, just kind of keep in mind, is for entertainment purposes. But um I will be dollar cost averaging in the marijuana stocks at the beginning of the year. I am a believer in Bitcoin and Ethereum long term, though I do think that crypto may have a further uh, uh, decline as of, uh, you know, uh, they had pulled back and then the Fed made a decision. They came back really strong. I think there could be a pullback again. And my play uh, as of or going probably for the next couple months for me, is going to be dollar cost averaging. I'm hoping that actually we get a pull a further pullback in crypto, so I can uh, get those uh, cheaper prices on Bitcoin and Ethereum. I believe the play in crypto right now, uh, at least for me, going at the beginning of the year, is dollar cost averaging in those two uh, cryptos, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and uh, I uh, can do that through Robinhood. I've mentioned eToro. There's Coinbase. So there's a lot of platforms you can do that as well. I'm a little concerned about stocks as well. One And one of the, there was just a couple ETFs I wanted to mention. Uh, I'm not there yet, but if uh, I start to think that stocks are going to head lower, uh, I, I do use shorts, ETF shorts. And again, these are just really short-term plays when I want to make a quick buck on a market decline if I kind of see something in the chart. And I wanted to just give you uh, three short ETFs that I often use. And uh, again, I'm not quite there yet where I'm, I want to you know, actually bet against the market, but I suspect there may be some declines potentially in the uh, mix going forward or coming soon. And these are the three that I use to to get exposure. And again, this is where you make money when the market heads lower. Uh, I'm going to give you three here: the Nasdaq 100 Ultra Pro Short. That's a that's a three times the objective, a triple bang to the downside. So if the Nasdaq moves one percent lower, it's triple that. And again, the ticker on that is SQQ. Q. Now, when I want to short the Dow, and again, that's a, a triple the bang, but it's the Dow, that's S-D-O-W, that's the Ultra Pro Short Dow 30, 
And then the Ultra Pro Short S&P 500. Uh, and I, I use this a lot when I'm uh, filling uh, down on stocks and I want to make a quick buck. And uh, and again, that's the, the Ultra Pro Short S&P 500, which is SPXU. And again, that's SPXU. So those are just some kind of thoughts and, and to give you kind of where my head's at. I love domestic, or, you know, Michael talked me into the the domestic marijuana space, going to be dollar cost averaging into that. Uh, uh, you know my play with crypto, dollar cost average in Ethereum and Bitcoin, looking for the big gains in the long term, personally hoping that we do get a pullback here or continued pullback so I can uh, dollar cost at lower prices. And then I gave you those three ways to short markets if you think the stock market's going to decline you know just be careful with those and again uh you know the long-term trend for stocks is higher so uh, those are just um just very short-term you know quick cash-ins on on a decline if i see it coming as promised let's move over to the fed why you should watch and then our uh, our guest today is going to give us some some plays and some uh, some ETFs and and some ways to play the Fed. So let's bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, California. Uh, his website macrotides.com. So let's bring him on. Hey Jim, uh, glad to have you on the show. Great to be yeah. with you, Andy. Always uh, glad to have Jim on the Gains Podcast. So, Jim, as I had mentioned in the lead, a ton of volatility, a lot of it Fed-driven, and that's why we've brought you in today is to talk about the Fed policy, how it moves markets, and how to cash in, how to to get some gains on on various Fed moves. So uh, we've had the Fed kind of that had talked about inflation for a long time as being transitory. They've obviously been off as uh, inflation hasn't gone away, and they've now moved on that. So explain what the Fed's done and, uh, you know, the market reaction. Well, the markets at the point in time the Fed made their announcement yesterday, Andy, uh, you know, the markets expected that the Fed was finally going to increase the taper from $15 billion to probably $30 billion. That's what the Fed did, so you can check that box off. The markets have been anticipating two or three rate hikes next year. The Fed uh, dot plot kind of indicated that that's where the Fed uh, members are uh, in terms of next year. Uh, the thing I would point out is if you look at the history of the dot plots, and obviously we know about the transitory inflation history over the last uh, six to nine months, you know, the Fed is more often wrong than right. So the reality here is people wanted to believe inflation was going to be transitory. And at this point in time, they want to believe that all the Fed is going to have to do next year is raise rates three times. And I, I'm not willing to just take that at face value. Um, I, I think inflation is going to continue to push higher into the first uh, quarter of next year. And the are, key, are you I, are you saying that you're kind of thinking that they may even have to be more aggressive? Yeah, I okay. think that's it. And and, and here's the thing: it, it's going to be kind of crazy and tricky because when the inflation numbers get calculated, it's you know this month versus a year ago. So you have this 12 month rate of change factor. That is always a big part of whatever the number is that gets reported. So as we get into the second quarter of next year, the takeaway values, in other words, inflation went up a lot in April, May, and June. 
in 2021. So when you get into April, May, June in 22, those numbers kind of come off and then you replace with whatever the monthly increase is for the current months. And that's going to come down. In my mind, there's no question headline inflation is going to drop fairly significantly. The problem, I think, for the Fed is core inflation is likely not to drop anywhere near as much, primarily because shelter inflation, which makes up 35 percent, a little bit more than 35 percent of the core CPI, is playing catch up to the huge increase in home prices we've seen and rent increases. And so the shelter factor is going to continue to climb uh, in the next six to 12 months and offset some of the unwind that's going to happen just because of the 12 month rate of change. Um, and the wage growth obviously has been uh, strong. It's a positive thing. Uh, but I think that is also going to contribute to companies raising prices and that feeds into uh, core inflation. So that to me is going to be what people have to pay attention to uh, and what might alter uh, the Fed to have to be more aggressive. Um, if, if the Fed becomes more aggressive, that's certainly going to be a factor for stocks and prices going uh, forward into the new year, correct? It will be. And I think the other component is Treasury yields. And this has been very comforting from a valuation standpoint for the stock market is the 10-year Treasury yield has been hanging around 1.5% for quite a while uh, after peaking at 1.76% last March. And I think this is where people might get blindsided more than from monetary policy, Andy, is Treasury yields, I think, are set to go up potentially sharply in the first half of next year. And, and if they go up, you know, this for the gains listeners, when Treasury yields head higher, like you're kind of indicating here, what's that mean yeah. for, for stocks? What's the yeah. impact? Historically, it isn't so much the level, it's the rate of change. So if rates go from you know, one and a half to 2% over nine months, it's like a, a, a yawner. But if they do it over three or four weeks, the market is going to pay attention to that. And the reason why I think there's the potential for sharp increase is the Treasury uh, has had a huge amount of, well, back in March of this year, Andy, they had $1.6 trillion in the balance uh, in their account at the Fed. So all they did from March on is bring that balance down. They didn't have to sell new paper. If a bond matured, they just rolled it over. So that meant there was very little new supply since March and April of this year of, of paper coming to the market. At the same time, we know that the Fed kept buying $80 billion worth of Treasury bonds up until recently. What then compounded it, when, when Congress didn't increase the Treasury uh, the debt ceiling at the end of July, that meant the, the Treasury couldn't uh, issue new paper. So even though their balance had gone from $1.6 trillion down to $300 billion, normally the, the Treasury would be you know, issuing a lot of paper. They couldn't. It's, think, it, so it was tied up due to debt, the debt ceiling? Exactly. Okay. In other words, that, they couldn't issue more debt because we had hit the ceiling. Right, right. And the, the Treasury's been using you know, what they call special uh, methods to kind of you know, kind of use cash whatever way they can. But um, my point being is that once the debt ceiling is increased, the Treasury is going to be issuing seven to eight hundred billion dollars of new paper on top of all the maturing paper in the first quarter of next year and second quarter at a time when the, the Fed's purchases are going to go down significantly and get to zero by the end of March. So to me, the supply-demand balance within the Treasury market has really 
uh, really pressured yields on the 10-year to stay low. And I think that downward pressure as supply increases and the Fed cuts back on its purchases, that supply-demand situation is going to revert very strongly. And that's why I think the odds favor. We're going to see Treasury yields go up in the first half of next year and potentially in a window of time go up uh, you know, sharply. And I think the market would pay attention to that. You know, everybody's like, oh, stocks are going to keep going higher and higher and higher because it's inflation. And, you know, that's where people have to, you know, people have to reach for yield. Investors have to reach for yield, um, you know, and the market's going uh, nowhere but up. Yep. From you, what you're just telling me right now is setting up some conditions that aren't over, overly favorable for stocks, you know, looking six a year out and farther. Well, I, I'm going to to the last time we uh, chatted, uh, you know, my plan was or expectation was that we would see a correction in the market uh, down to about forty five fifty, went a little bit further than that. My expectation then was the S&P would rally back to forty six fifty. It got a little over forty seven hundred. Um, but it was all in the context of once this correction is over, there's a good chance early next year the S&P will rally to 4,800 to 4,900. And then at some point in time in the first quarter, be vulnerable to a much larger correction, you know, something more than 10%. And I think one or two things will be the trigger. Either people start to realize the Fed's going to have to be more aggressive or will be more aggressive, and that gets priced in, and coupled with that, Treasury yields jumping. Um, so I, I think that's what the trigger is going to be. And my guess is we have the rally up towards 4,900, the 10 to 15 percent correction going into the second quarter. And then I think the S&P is going to rally again, Andy, because the economy is still going to be in decent shape. And the bear markets either happen because you have a, a liquidity crisis that takes place. And obviously we're not experiencing anything like that or the economy goes into a recession. So unless you get a recession, you know, the S&P rarely corrects more than 15% absent a recession. I can, don't think can, one is likely. Can inflation, uh, can high inflation push the economy into a recession? Um, at some point, yes. But in the near term, yes, people are paying more. More and more people are reporting in various surveys that, hey, it's starting to cause a financial hardship. I mean, you know, gas prices are up 50 percent. Nat gas prices in terms of people heating their homes has jumped very significantly. But we have to remember that because of all the money the government distributed last year and in March of this year, and on an ongoing basis, the child tax credit that keeps going out every single month uh, to anybody who has a child less than 17 years of age, people are getting more cash now than they ever had before, and they're sitting on about $1.7 trillion worth of savings. Half of that is uh, the bottom 50 percent of wage earners. So people have a cushion, is my point, so that even the cost of living is going up, they have the wherewithal in the next three to six months to pay for it. Plus, their wages are going up. Wages may not be keeping up with inflation, but they have indeed gone up a fair amount. So I, I don't think we're at that crisis point, likely, uh, Andy. And, and the, really the test is, and there's no way to know, as we get into the second quarter, what will be happening with shelter inflation and wage inflation, and how much will those components offset the decline in things like used, new car prices, 
in some of the other things that have really pushed inflation up over the last 12 months. So it's going to be fairly fluid. Okay. But I do believe the technical aspect of the market suggests a rally towards 4,900, a pullback of 10 to 15 percent. And then I think if the economy is still OK uh, and inflation starts to work its way down so that, you know, in the second half of next year, people might not uh, or the Fed may not have to become overly aggressive. Then that opens the door to the move above 5,000, maybe close to 5,500 uh, in the S&P. Um, um, okay, so real quick, we're going to leave it there and take yeah. a quick break, and then we're going to have Jim on the other side of the break here talk about the play. Real quick, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's a possibility. I hear that's podcast gold. Would appreciate the solid there. And then, as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We will be right back with Jim Welsh right on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we're back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. The website, macrotides.com. Um, real quick, Jim, any kind of plugs you want to get in before you tell us the, how to play the Fed sure. right now? Well, I'll be happy, Andy, to send. Uh, I do a weekly technical review, which also talks a little bit about fundamentals, but really focuses on the various financial markets. And I'll be happy to send any uh, listener who would like to receive a free copy of next week's uh, uh, weekly technical review. Just send me an email, Jim Welsh Macro uh, at Gmail, and I will make sure that you receive that. Again, so. that's Jim Welsh Macro at gmail.com yeah, w-e-l-s-h not c-h like the grape jelly i you know oh, that's i like a, that's, grape jelly but i but i don't spell my name that that's way, an so. important distinction to make so um okay so we you know we talked about why you should watch the fed what's kind of going on here just to kind of reset the table real quick you see a, a little bit of short-term roughing up then it coming back and then a bigger decline and then after this 10, 15 percent yep. big decline, then maybe the all clear sign to move significantly higher. Um, yep. So uh, as we said, you know, that kind of sets the table. So what's the play here, Jim? How do you do it? What kind of sectors? How do you play this? How do you play the Fed? How do you make the gains on the Fed? OK, two comments. Uh, when I look at sectors, uh, Andy, what I do is I compare each sector's 
relative strength to the S&P. And the idea being is if I can ferret out those sectors that are performing weaker than the S&P, that way it's not dead money. You know, the S&P goes up 10% and you're in a sector that goes up six. Well, you're glad it went up six, but that isn't really, you know, that's a big time single. Um, ideally, if you can find sectors that go up as much as the S&P or better, it's just a better time use of, of money. So that's kind of the framework that I look at. And um, in reviewing uh, um, all the U.S. sectors, where there's about 45 or 50 of them that I look at, and these are all exchange-traded funds, uh, there's a really only a small number of them that have consistently been outperforming the S&P, which has been one of the underneath the surface problems for the market. So right now, what I would say, two categories. Most sectors are underperforming, like Russell, mid-cap, uh, have been underperforming. Uh, the one that I like that looks best is the basic material uh, sector. Uh, the symbol is XLB as in boy. Um, it's starting to outperform the S&P. Uh, it's not overbought. And, hey, Jim, yeah. real quick, yeah. I, sorry to interrupt, and I'll have you kind of explain it, yeah. but what is XLB for the GAINS listeners so they know? Um, it's basic materials. Basically. So it's a so basic material ETF? Is it an ETF? or? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So XLB is always going to be an ETF. Okay, so XLB is a yeah. basic material ETF uh, for the GAINS listeners, a basket of stocks in that particular sector. Go ahead, then. That's correct. And so if, you know, if somebody looks at the chart, what you can see is it really peaked in May at around 88 to $90. It's been going sideways ever since, and I think it's on the cusp of breaking out above 90 So it's anticipation that, uh, A, its relative strength is, is improving, and it's nearing what I think is a chart breakout. And things like the infrastructure bill did indeed pass, and I think they're going to be a beneficiary of that. Um, the second group of stocks I would talk about would be the technology. As we know, they've been doing really, really well. But they've been taking it on the chin over the last few weeks especially. And so their relative strength is still, because uh, this looks at it over a period of months, the methodology I use, uh, is still positive relative to the S&P. So that's good. But in the short term, the price trends are working their way lower. So things like XLK uh, are in this category. The semiconductor uh, industry, uh, or ETF, uh, VGT, which is a Vanguard technology fund, all of these kind of have the same exact looking chart. Uh, they're pulling back, uh, but the longer-term trend, I believe, is up. So if we're going to get a rally to 4,900 or so, after a bit more weakness in the technology sector, I think these sectors ought to rebound. And, again, we'll see if they can reclaim their leadership role. If they don't, then that, to me, would be a, another confirming uh, signal, if you will, that after this rally to 4,900 runs its course, that the market – that will be one more piece of information suggesting that, yeah, a 10 to 15 percent correction is coming because the prior leaders have run out of gas. But I think short term, that's a pretty good trade. And that's and, and again, that XLK XLK yep. is a technology select sector spider fund. So again, yes. that's a basket of tech stocks 
as those stocks move higher, so does the exchange-traded fund, the ETF. And again, yes. that one's XLK. And then there was and one the, other you mentioned. The, the Give semi, the ticker the on that. Semiconductors, the semiconductors, which have been really strong and great leaders. And that is S as in Sam, M as in Michael, and Henry, uh, H for Henry. Uh, same thing. I think there can be a little bit more weakness near term. Then I think they're going to have a pretty good pop. Uh, if uh, you know the analysis, the expectation of a move up towards 4,900 uh, materializes, and then we'll take it from there. So um, those are the three that look best uh, to me in terms of upside potential. The one I'll, I'll mention, because it's interesting, we saw the Fed come out with the, the news. The dollar initially spiked, and then it pulled back. I think the dollar is poised for a pullback. And I've been bullish the dollar since late May, early June. But I think the time is ripe for it to have a pullback. And what we saw yesterday reverse hard, gold and gold stocks. So I like gold and I like the gold stocks. I think between now and early January uh, and maybe into February, if the market holds up into February, I think those uh, and that would be either GLD or IAU uh, for the gold ETFs. I'm a big fan of GLD, by the way. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, it's a great vehicle. Uh, IAU, they track each other extremely closely. It's just that, you know, GLD is 168 bucks a share and IAU is 34 So depending on somebody's uh, account size, they can potentially work with the IAU, and you're going to get pretty much the same level of performance. And then the gold stock index is GDX, and we've talked about that. I know you talk about that. Um, I think GDX can make a move towards 35 or so. And the key level on gold, Andy, is 1835. If gold can close above 1835, then I think it could get to be a lot of fun. Uh, that is a, a very important level of resistance. So if it can clear 1835, a move up toward 1900, maybe 1910 should quickly follow. So those that, those are my expectations in terms of which sectors I think could um, you know add most and take advantage of uh, a move up uh, in the next three to four weeks. And the nice thing about the GDX, which you talked about, that that differs. That's the actual gold stocks, miners, companies right. in the in the space. Uh, and for you gains listeners, I've found over the years that when when you you play gold. Um, you know, the straight gold price e ETF is a great way to get exposure, but the miners often will run a little hotter. And I'm oh, sure you've absolutely. seen the same thing. Explain that. Yeah, uh, it's just leverage. Uh, gold miners have leverage uh, in terms of the balance sheet of, of the companies themselves. And it's just historical volatility. Uh, the gold stocks are just probably 150 percent to 200 percent, depending on the time window more volatile than the gold uh, as a, a basket. So to me, people have to, you know, okay, am I willing and comfortable accepting that kind of risk? So when gold goes up, gold stocks typically will do really well. And conversely, when gold falters, the gold stocks have a tendency to get hammered. GDX is down from 40, and yesterday it traded under 29. So we're talking about something that has dropped fairly significantly since I think February, uh, you know, it's dropped over 25%. Uh, so you're buying something that I think is relatively sold out. Um, and I think that means potentially more upside potential. For GDX, it needs to get above 35, 35 and a half on a closing basis. That then would open the door for a move up to 37, 38. 
So, um, you know, with all this technical stuff, you just have to look at these areas of resistance and then take an assessment of what's happening. You know, in this case, gold, does it break out above 1835 or did it try and then rolled over and it starts to decline under 1800? That would not be a good sign. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing about gold all along here is generally speaking, when you have very loose monetary policy, you add to the money supply, you usually see gold really, really take off, which interestingly has not been the case. You know, I often wonder if maybe crypto is taking some of that thunder, but with, you know, the loose monetary policy and all the money printing, it's really surprised me that the precious metals haven't moved much higher uh, over the past year or two. I Well, they had a great run into August of last year, then a fairly significant correction, then a rally into February of this and early June of this year, Andy. And then as crypto, I think you're right, crypto has sucked some money that historically would have gone to gold and the gold stocks. Speculative money has gone to the, the cryptos. Uh, the thing that's interesting is, as I talked earlier, the dollar may be in a position where it could actually pull back uh, a few percent over the next month or so. And the crypto, well, you and I spoke last, uh, I think it was trading in the mid-50s at that time. And, you know, we both were looking at, okay, yeah, 48,000 and an outside chance of 42. And I think my point being is we're finally at a place where gold strength, uh, dollar strength may give way a little bit and cryptos may be a little weak. Well, if that happens, I would think, uh, based on what we've been talking about, that the gold could then be a beneficiary um, because those other two, which have been kind of a headwind in terms of the dollar and money getting sucked out of uh, traditional gold investors toward crypto, that all will change. If investors who are in the crypto space, even though we, you know, somebody like me, I, I, I totally buy into this long term, always yep. have said the play, dollar cost average into Bitcoin and Ethereum, and you'll be fine. But uh, yeah, if, if uh, the dollar gives way, and then crypto continues to get roughed up a little bit, that money's going to find a new spot. And it yeah. sounds like it from, and I kind of see it that way too, that new spot might be gold and, and we may see uh, some really big gains there. Yeah, again, I'm just looking at it in terms of, sometimes it isn't the news, but how markets respond to the news. So yesterday, you know, the Fed did its thing. Yeah, they're going to hike rates next uh, year three times, you know, at least that's the game plan, and they're going to increase, they're going to double the tapering. You know, a few months ago, if somebody said, hey, if, you know, the Fed's going to do this, you would think, oh, my God, you know, the dollar out of rally, and uh, and it spiked, and then it reversed. So it's how markets reacted. Crypto has been acting weak, and I think, again, just looking at the chart, it looks to me like, hey, 42,000 is very likely to happen. Um, and the way the, the metals reversed yesterday after really, to your point, uh, underperforming relative to the inflation news we've seen, I think finally the time might be right for this stuff to to uh, do better. And then if it does, you know, money's always looking for whatever's moving, and that's what your show is all about. And if gold starts to catch a bid and the gold starts start to come alive, then they could really, I, I think, do nicely. The one little headwind yet is on, in terms of the gold stocks. Um, to me, some of the weakness in the last week or two has potentially been, Andy, where people are taking some money out of big winners uh, in the mega cap stocks, 
and so forth. And so now it's like, okay, I'm going to have this tax bill. What can I sell to offset some of those gains in gold and biotechnology stocks, uh, small cap stocks in general? Uh, you know, these are the sectors that have grossly underperformed the S&P. And in some case, depending on when somebody bought them, you're underwater. And I think that they've been beat up a little bit in part. Hey, I just sold something with a big gain, and now I'm going to sell something that has been an underperformer and a loser to help minimize my tax hit uh, come next year. And I think as we get deeper into December and we're you know midway, uh, that that pressure I think will alleviate. Um, so that's another thing that I think potentially will shift from being uh, a negative to a, a less of a negative and then potentially just be gone as we get close to the end of the year. All right. So just to kind of recap, you know, where you where you're seeing things sector wise, you mentioned uh, XLB, basic materials, yep. X, you know, which is an ETF on that X XLK, which is an ETF in the tech space you mentioned you liked gold gld for gold exposure you mentioned gdx to get exposure to the gold miners what was that uh semiconductor uh, yeah. etf that you mentioned uh smh okay and that's the uh that's for your semiconductor exposure so those are a lot of jim's you know sector plays here as we're wrapping up the gains podcast today uh anything else uh any parting shops or any parting shots here jim that uh you'd like to share with our listeners well per our conversation earlier andy i think there's going to be a really good short in treasury bonds coming um because i do believe as i explained earlier that yields are going to be headed higher so at some point in time buying an inverse uh treasury bond etf and the, the one that I think is the easiest is Tom Boy Frank, TBF. Okay, and that um, and that one TB- to one inverse. Oh, ETF. one to one. I was going to ask you that. Yep. Is no you know because some of them go one to. I've seen you know leverage three. of three baggers. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's TBF, and explain what that is again. Well, it's just the inverse of TLT and Treasury bonds. So if yields go up, bond prices go down. TBF would gain in value. So it does the opposite of what bond prices do. So, um, so that might be I, I the think, uh, treasury play there. I believe so. I'm not quite yet. You know, I don't think we're there yet. You know, in terms of it being time to buy, um, I just think that's something to pay attention to because there will be a point uh, when we see treasury yields start to reverse more than what they have. Um, and you know and, what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, Jim. When we get there, I'm gonna. Br- you know, I'll have Jim tell me, or you know, give me the heads yeah. up when uh, you know we get a little closer to maybe TBF being a good move, and we will bring Jim on to, uh, when that play is a possibility to give you the the the, the heads up on when that might be a good play. Anything yeah, else here? I, I really appreciate. Uh, your time today, Jim. Uh, anything else here before we uh, before no. I let you go? Hey, Andy, I think we've covered a lot of ground, and uh, thanks again. I want to wish you and uh, listeners, if we don't talk before uh, uh, Christmas and uh, the other holidays, you know, uh, good health, happy holidays, and uh, looking forward to a very prosperous 2022. And one last thing for the Gaines listeners, you can get inf- more information from Jim 
Uh, Jim, give them uh, the, the email. Sure. Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at gmail.com. All right, and again, many thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist at Port- and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, his website, macrotides.com. All right, I'll see you, Jim. Hey, thanks, Andy. All right, thanks. Okay, that's going to wrap up the GAINS podcast. Um, as always, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option. As always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new GAINS podcast drops. We will be back next Tuesday, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.